kind of music is it that you don't like? I remember. And he wrapped his tongue around some rapid, rapid sounds. Rap. I want that. I want that. I want that disc, and I'll tell you why. Because who has that disc can gratify every wish and whim, every laugh and sigh. I play you Wagner, and you give me rap, Moninoff. Can terrify, vilify, purify. Modified. You never would have let me play Wagner. Nullify. Or discuss Nietzsche. Uglify. Beautify. Rectify. Or Carl Jung. Multiply. Or eat salad. Mummify. Or quiche. I love fucking quiche. And ultimately prophesy the entire fate of you and I. Michael Ironside didn't have cancer. Cancer had Michael Ironside. <laughs> and lost. <laughs> and lost. <laughs> <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night. Probably the last Radio Drome of 2016. We're going to go out with a bang. But before that, Peter is here. Yes. Relatively sober? Relatively. And Cecil is here as well. <laughs> uh, yes, I am also sober. Ish. Before we get into this, we need to find something for you to get into you guys. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free power O-ring, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Last Christmas, we talked about the Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. This Christmas, I decided, screw that. Let's just do a retrospective of Michael Ironside because he's so f***ing awesome. It's the best Christmas gift of all, if you ask me. Michael Ironside, what role do you immediately go to for him? What's your most identifiable Michael Ironside role? Ham Tyler. From V, in case From people v. haven't seen it. He, uh, that was my f introduction to him, and uh, I've, I've loved him ever since. Uh, he's just, uh, he's such a badass in that. And, uh, it kind of, a lot of his roles really felt like variations of Ham Tyler. You know, he's always just this really, really just wonderful, awesome, like mercenary type. So that's always kind of been, uh, my, my go-to, like Michael Ironside. I just, now granted, he's been in a lot of stuff and he's shown a lot of range and, you know, he's not just that, but that's always kind of been what I fall back on. And whenever I, I see him, that's uh, usually like the first thing that comes to mind. Well, the first thing I ever saw him in, I'm pretty sure was total recall because I, I grew up watching a lot of uh, action movies with my dad especially the schwarzenegger stuff whenever i think of him i always think of his uh sort of henchman role from uh total recall and he again as cecil described he's really great as playing these sort of like badass uh mercenary tough guy type characters and i think uh his character in that one is is one of his best and most intense and the, the one after that i think would be scanners like those are those are the earliest ones i remember bearing earliest times i remember bearing witness to uh michael 
Michael Ironside and just completely falling in love with the guy as a character actor because he's so unique. There's not really any actor quite like him and nobody quite has the same presence that he does. He's also the kind of guy that you, you, you can't picture him with a full head of hair. Like, I, I seriously feel like the guy was born balding with an intense face. Like, he's the kind of guy where you, you can't not picture him looking the way he does. Like, that's just, that's him, and that'll always be him. And uh, General Katana had long hair. He had fake hair. That was a fake hairline. Still. <laughs> that was about as... Uh, that was about as fake as uh, Steven Seagal's current hairline. One of the few times you see him with hair. But even then, it's kind of like it's thinning in the front. Like it has that like widow's peak. He's, he's sort of the, that's what I always will associate him with. And it just, it works. He's one of those guys that works as a kind of balding, tough guy looking dude. And I've always really, really loved him. And Total Recall is still a movie that I watch regularly. And not just for, for Arnold, but actually mainly for the dynamic between uh, Ronnie Cox and uh, Michael Ironside's character. I feel like they really steal that movie. You called him a character actor. He would disagree with that. He considers himself not even an actor. He is a roofer first and an actor (laughs) just to get the bills paid. He literally, he was trained as a roofer before he became an actor. He wasn't successful at that, so he started acting to pay the bills, and when he's got downtime between projects, with 243 credits, it's surprising he has downtime, but when he has downtime between acting gigs, he goes back to roofing. He literally does not consider himself an actor. He is a roofer that does acting to pay the bills. I don't know if that's humble or deluded. I think that's kind of it's kind of funny that he was like, "Oh, I need more money. I might as well just act," and then actually becomes just becomes an actor. Like he's <laughs> like, "Oh, I'm just gonna give this a shot." Oh, hey, this works. Okay, I'm a famous actor now. Like he's I don't know if he's a list, but shit, he still shows up and stuff super regularly. Like he's been acting consistently since what the mid seventies? Nineteen seventy seven. Let's let's go yeah. before that though. Frederick Reginald Ironside. Born 19, February 12th, 1950. He took the stage name Michael Ironside, so I guess Frederick just didn't work as well. And I think it's hilarious. One, one thing though, I think it's hilarious that he took a stage name, but it wasn't the last name that he had to change. Yeah, that Ironside was the, the birth name. <laughs> like, yeah, Ironside sounds like such, I mean, it's an awesome name, but that's the thing. It sounds like a totally a made up stage name, but that's <laughs> like his, that's the part that he kept. He's yeah. a, he's a Canadian. The first, Two or three years of his career are all Canadian productions, so other than Scanners, which we'll get to in a little bit, pretty they're pretty obscure in America. But he started out not even getting names. His first project was in the 1977 Canadian comedy about gay hairdressers trying to make a business for themselves. Outrageous. He was drunk at party. <laughs> And then, and then his, his next appearance was a Canadian TV series called For the Record, where he played policeman number one. In the 1978 movie Power Play, he was torturer. The 1979 oh, movie Summer's Children, he was pimp number one. In the movie Stone Cold <laughs> Dead, he was murdered police detective. He, he, he didn't get a name, I mean, hell, he was in a TV movie called Family Man where he was the bartender. He didn't get a name until 1979's A Paid Vacation TV movie where he was Mr. Haggart. So for the first two years of his acting career, he was kind of that guy. Well, you, we, you gotta start small. I mean, uh, back, 
back then I think it was a lot, uh, I wouldn't say harder for actors to break the business, but this is how you would see a lot of actors come up, uh, in, in little bit parts. Like, you know, Stallone did that. He played like a mugger on some television shows and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, obviously Ironside was doing the same thing. He was taking little small parts. Obviously this was the whole to pay the bills thing and it worked out for him. You know, take a small role here, play a bartender there, play a drunk at a party there. I, I think that's a very natural transition for actors back then. Whereas nowadays, like, Ah, I'm getting so sick of seeing these like young 20 something year old, uh, kids and chicks that just pop up in movies and are immediately the star. And you have no, like, who the fuck is this, uh, um, what, what's his name? Liam Hemsworth, you know, Chris Hemsworth's brother. He just shows up in some movie and he's like a starring role. It's, I, I like seeing, uh, an actor's journey and, and going back and seeing, seeing things when they weren't as like well known and seeing their sort of their struggle and their story unfold and becoming, you know, the actor that they are instead of just, well, pop, there they are. There's that person. They're a star now and you have to accept accept it. Uh, I think it's cool that he, he worked his way up. A lot of the old school actors did. Well, I mean, it also was like a, a bit different back then. I mean, there were a lot of people that were getting into acting and, uh, you know, just like you had said, uh, you know, a minute ago, he was a roofer who was just getting into acting. So he was going to be taking a lot of smaller roles and, you know, probably didn't really have like a great agent yet. And uh, it, it you kind of work your way up the the latter whereas now as peter said it's just you have people that will show up and they just happen to be in the right movie or they're the brother of somebody famous and that's the thing like like i can understand why chris hemsworth is famous you know he he was a cast as thor and i mean he was in a bunch of movies before that but that he like, actually was really has some that... screen charisma though oh yeah well, that's what i'm saying yeah. but then liam the only reason that liam got cast was because liam was the brother of chris and looks a lot like him see if you watch him and in the most uh, Independence Day resurgence, he's got like n- none of the charisma that his brother has. He was just mm-hmm. like, he was an unlikable guy who kind of looks like somebody who's charismatic, you know? He's, he's, uh, he's, he's the, uh, he's basically Frank Stallone. Uh, yes, I was just gonna say that he's he's totally Frank Stallone. You know, he he looks uh or or uh oh what's um Don Swayze. You know, he's uh, he he kind of looks like him, but like he's nowhere near as good or likable. But Michael Ironside not getting you know any named roles for a while. Well, I mean that was probably mostly because maybe he wasn't trying so to speak maybe he was he was really ah, i'm not really going to do this acting thing i'm just gonna you know be a roofer and do this uh to get to make some extra money and and then after it started uh he started to maybe get some recognition or people were like hey this guy's actually pretty good that's when uh things really started taking off and uh he was looking at it from a different perspective Speaking of a different perspective, he started unintentionally getting into a lot of genre features. Still in Canada, this is still in the era where Hollywood was not coming to Canada. Because obviously right around the slasher movie boom is when all of the American productions would come to Canada to shoot because of the tax credits. He just missed that. But he was doing Scanners, which obviously got him quite a bit of recognition. And then he did Visiting Hours in 1982. He did TV movies and stuff in between there. You know, just, just little things like Clown White, The July Group. Coming Out Alive, Suzanne movies none of us have ever seen and probably never will. And then he, he basically said if he had not gone to Hollywood, he would have been stuck in those kind of roles, blown out his knees years ago being a roofer and probably would be nothing. But he, he made the decision with no agent, no apartment or anything to move to Los Angeles. 
because he was sick of being typecast in all these Canadian movies as a killer. One of the first movies he got was Overdog in Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. He kind of steals that uh-huh. movie. Oh, hell yeah. I saw that, you know, years after V, but uh, that was one where I'm like, oh my god, Overdog, you know, Overdog is such a great name too. Like, I remember that just being like, oh, this guy's awesome. Big Look at claw this. claw hands, no legs. Oh, the, well, the whole movie is just such a joy to begin with. But then, you know, having him in it was just the icing on the cake. So, yeah, that if ever there was a role that was perfect for him, it was Overdog. It's been a while since I've seen uh, Space Hunter. But, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the best, like, over-the-top uh, villains that you can think of in, like, an 80s uh, sci-fi genre film. I've always uh, always really enjoyed that one. But uh, I need to, need to kind of go back and rewatch it. But, yeah, I remember really liking it uh, when I was younger. Well, and then he was kind of still paying his dues. He didn't even have an agent at this time. But he would show up on, he was in one episode of Hill Street Blues. He was in an A-Team episode. And then he got the second V miniseries, V The Final Battle. They actually had to rewrite the part of Ham Tyler for him. Because the character of Ham Tyler, as written, was a wheelchair-bound quadriplegic who was the badass strategist that Donovan would end up using. When then they cast Michael mm. Ironside, they realized, that ain't gonna work, we gotta rewrite this character. And he outright says, if he did not take V, which he almost didn't, if he did not take that role, he's not sure he would actually still be acting today. Because Ham Tyler, that is the role that broke him into the mainstream. Ham mm. Tyler is such an amazing character. And if you think about it, he's not even in the first part of that three-part miniseries. He doesn't show up till the first 15 minutes of part two. So he's only in the last four hours of that miniseries. Yeah. I mean, V is just awesome in, in every possible way. Uh, I met... Um, I don't know. The ending of Final Battle with the Star Child touching the thing to disarm the bomb. Kind of goofy. Did... Did I say the final battle? I said V. Well, because he's only in the final battle, though. Uh, well, true. All right. The, I like, I mean, yes, the, the star child coming out, touching the thing, and, and kind of using force powers to, I don't know, is corny, but it wasn't enough to kind of offset just how, like, good it was. There was a lot of things in there that, uh, you know, you wouldn't really expect, uh, on, like, TV at the time. So, uh, I, the, the, the goddamn baby, the green alien coming out just still, it scared the hell out of me when I was young. Oh my god, what the hell? I don't know. It was the, it was a combination of just the music and the way that they did it where it's like, oh, you know, the one baby came out and they're like, oh, there's another one. Oh my god! You know, and little... then it ends on a to be continued too. That's the end of that segment too. Yeah. Oh God, I cried. I'm like, oh, what the... you know, it was so. It just like little me couldn't handle it. It, it just was. Uh, it was just. I don't know. And then it's funny because I go back and I watch it now, and I'm like, oh my God, it's a hand puppet. Like I was, <laughs> I was, I was terrified of this thing. You know. Yeah, I mean, like, V in general was just really, really good. And, uh, you know, with the exception of the slightly less than, than, uh, but I mean, I, I think that was kind of the whole point was that it was, all right, well, uh, here was, you know, human and, and alien came together and they created this thing that is now thing that prevented the, the end of, uh, end of the world. And, um, it, it was good. I mean, uh, I haven't watched, 
the or the last battle in, in quite a long time, but uh, I've, it's always left a major impression on me. I've always liked that. And I met Mark Singer years ago and got him to sign like one of the propaganda posters. And uh, he was he was super nice. cool. I was just like, because I had a real hard time. I'm like, I'm like, oh god, do I get him to, you know, do it? V or the Beastmaster? What do I get? Because two iconic <laughs> roles, you know. And uh, so I went with V, and uh, he was just super cool. And I would love to meet Michael Ironside, but I, as far as I know, I don't think he's ever done conventions. And he, he's, uh, he's done a few Canadian conventions. I've tried to get him for an interview so many times. I, I said years ago, back when Brad was on this show, I'm not gay, but I would f***ing suck Michael Ironside's dick and I would swallow. He's that cool. <laughs> well, v was interesting. Uh, I used to watch uh, reruns of that back in... Uh... I don't know if it was like, uh, end of, end of elementary school, maybe, yeah, beginning of high school. I would watch it on space, like, all the time. I found that interesting because Michael Ironside's sort of severe, badass, kind of, uh, stern approach with acting was, uh, always, uh, an interesting offset to Mark Singer's ridiculous over-the-top attitude in that show. Like, he was so animated and kind of goofy, and then, you know, Mark Michael Singer Ironside always would show up. always found a way to have his shirt ripped, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he, that like very much like sort of you know brawny bare-chested punching random things when he's angry it's like that really he did what like very over-the-top infliction in his voice and stuff and then michael ironside shows up and it's like you've got uh tv badass and then you've got actual badass walks into the room it was always uh interesting to watch them uh kind of offset one another michael ironside ended up sticking around he did not want to be part of the VTV series, which was a disaster on every level. And it's kind of funny. Every single person from the miniseries ended up leaving that show before its finale. It was so bad. He stuck around for six episodes contractually and got out as quickly as he could. He was still doing, paying his dues. He was doing TV shows like the new Mike Hammer with Stacey Keach. He did a Hitchhiker episode for HBO. Probably because he was still working for HBO, he did a really great Ray Bradbury theater called the fruit at the bottom of the bowl where he plays a hitman who is so concerned about wiping away his fingerprints he ends up cleaning the entire house just to make sure there's no fingerprints in it he was and then he, he kept taking these these kind of smaller parts where like in the the spy thriller falcon and the snowman he was an fbi agent he was a captain in the movie murder in space he he was one of the trainers in top gun he was very much one of those stalwart acting actors he didn't get a lot when he came to hollywood he wasn't the star back in canada even when he was just doing scanners and visiting hours and some of those tv movies in the early 80s he was the star and then he found out he came to hollywood he kind of had to start over again not counting v he had to build up his credibility again well, I mean, there's a lot of transitions happening that, uh, you know, it, it sucks. Again, um, the world wasn't quite as pre-internet. The world wasn't quite as, uh, you know, one world as it is now where, you know, you have a lot of stars that will cross all kinds of boundaries. You know, if they're, if they're big in the U.S., they're usually big like everywhere else. So, uh, and then you get some breakout stars from, I mean, hell, how many huge stars have come out of Canada? So I think if, uh, if this was a little bit more, now he probably wouldn't have had to have gone through that he would have uh, already been mm -hmm. on the radar here in the u.s 
Well, I guess that's, yeah, it's just the unfortunate side effect of the way things were back then. Like Cecil said, he transitioned and he went from sort of smaller Canadian stuff to in Hollywood where he sort of had to build his way up again. And that really is a difference between the way things were back then and the way they are now, where people just become stars. Whereas back then you really, if you wanted it, you had to, you had to work hard for it. But I think it paid off because he, he ended up being, you know, doing, uh, starring roles in, in some of my all time favorites, which, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes here. Well, and then he also, we know him mainly as usually bad guys, or even when he's a good guy, he's playing kind of a jackass, like Ham yeah. Tyler. Ham Tyler was a good guy, but he was still a racist scumbag. So uh-huh. he wasn't really a good guy that you could look up to. He just happened to be fighting on the right side. We know him mainly as a lot of villain roles, and he would he would become known for his genre roles, but he would do a lot of non-genre things. In 1987, he was the villain, arguably, in Prom Night 2. Then to go away from the genre, he, he helped, uh, he helped Amy Madigan defend against a bunch of ruthless commandos as a mountain man in Nowhere to Hide. And then, then he'd be the genetically engineered super soldier in Watchers. And then he would be, in the weird movie Destiny to Order, he would be kind of a sexually ambiguous drug lord in a post-apocalyptic future who hates rap. <laughs> Not, he, 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 you, it's kind of hard to peg him down for a specific role, even though we tend to think of Michael Ironside as a badass character. Well, he's one of those actors, though, that uh, even when he's doing something that is a little off of his usual path, there's still that Michael Ironside element to it. It's never like, all right, now he's playing a complete wuss or he's playing a complete putz or something. There's always still a little bit of, all right, this guy could still kick my ass. You know, like, I, it's, uh, yeah. he, he always just has that look. I mean, I, I saw a movie with him not too recently, a year ago or so, called uh, Extraterrestrial, and, uh, he played, like, this conspiracy junkie pot grower. Like, he was supposed to be doing, like, uh, the, the really neurotic, you know, uh, you know, oh my god, you people are here, you're gonna steal my weed and all this. And I'm like, all right, he's gotta be like ex-special forces or something. And like, like, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that he's really just playing this, uh, this. Cecil, the way you just described that character, I pictured Brad Dourif playing it. Yes. Yeah, I think I think Brad Dourif might have been busy that week, so uh, they got uh, Michael Ironside instead. And I mean, he was he was good in it. It was it was funny to to see him pop up in such a uh, a not Michael Ironside type role. But it still felt like I'm like, all right, he's gonna like kick some alien, and it, he did. He kicked some alien ass, you know, when they when they showed up and were trying to like uh, not steal his pot, but they were chasing after some people, and uh, so it was kind of funny. But uh, you know, he uh, he's uh, like. I don't know. He's one of those guys where I don't care what he does. I'll, I'll watch it. That's kind of why I describe him as a character actor, because he does show up in a lot of these different sorts of movies and playing different characters. But I guess that also falls on the whole, you know, roofer first, actor second, which even though he's playing these different characters, there always is that Michael Ironside element. But I love that there's, that there's all these different uh, roles and different movies that you can see him in, because it just means that there's more Michael Ironside to watch. Well, and then we start to get into 1990. Now, this is where he started moving up to being still not the star, because he would never be the star of any of these movies that were not direct-to-video or direct-to-cable. He would be in huge movies like Total Recall, Highlander 2, 
most people don't know it today, but people forget that James Glickenhaus's McBain was actually a pretty big release at the time in 1991. Do you think it's fair that more people know him from Total Recall than the other 200 or so movies that he's been in? Is that fair to Michael Ironside? Yeah, I think so, because, I mean, Total Recall is probably the biggest movie out of all of those. I mean, Total Recall is a huge movie. And I think that that's, uh, of course, you're going to be remembered by, you know, the biggest thing you're in, especially when he has such a memorable role. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was the guy who was chasing Arnold and he was he was great in it. So I would think that uh, that would make the most sense that people would uh, remember him from that movie as opposed to his other movies. I really think that that's a bad thing. I'm also going to say if. Samuel L. Jackson, who I love, is considered a triple-A actor, then so is Michael Ironside. They, cause they both never stop working and they're both in movies, both big and small. You know, you'll see him in massive, you know, $200 million movies and you'll see him in, you know, direct-to-video stuff. When it comes to that, I mean, there are people who, uh, only know, say, you know, Schwarzenegger or Stallone, you know, for Rambo and Rocky or like, the Terminator or some other bigger movie that uh, Arnold did, like Conan, and they don't—they haven't seen anything else. Uh, so I, I think it's—it's it's fair that people know him from a couple things because not everybody religiously watches movies like we do. Like obviously, I can call back to loads of stuff that uh, Ironside has uh, has been in. You know, be it uh, Highlander Two or Watchers or Visiting Hours or Scanners or all these other great things he's been in, like V. But there are other people who have maybe only seen him in Total Recall or only remember him from that and it's not a bad thing it's a really good movie and it is one of his uh i think one of his most iconic characters for sure it's not my personal favorite thing i've, I've always had a soft spot for watchers for some reason i've always really liked his uh weird um super soldier character in that movie and that movie in, in itself is a is a lot of fun i don't think it's uh unfair i mean he was in a huge blockbuster that was con- that is still to this day i think considered to be one of uh arnold's best movies like there's a lot of people who consider that to be like the movie arnold really acted in and you know it's a it's a paul verhoeven flick so it's awesome in itself so i don't think it's unfair at all you know he was in a big movie that's always going to be remembered and there are other actors that that people see the same way they've only seen their kind of big role characters like people who only know about stallone as rambo or or arnold as terminator or even like uh charles bronson as paul kersey like there are people who have only seen like the first couple death wish movies and they're like oh yeah uh, charles bronson the death wish guy so I, I don't think it's unfair it's just there are people who don't watch uh as many movies as we do well, and according to Michael Ironside, and he doesn't necessarily hate this movie, but he's, he gave an interview once where he said it is kind of weird that he's the, he's done all of these genre flicks like Total Recall and all that. The movie he's most known for is Free Willy. Really? I forgot he was even in that movie. I didn't he tries even to know kill the, He tries to kill the whale for insurance money. I haven't seen <laughs> Free Willy since, uh, when did it come out? 1993, and Michael Ironside is the villain in that movie. Wow, uh, it's that old? Then I haven't yeah. seen it. Let's see, how old would I have been when I saw it for the first time? I have not seen Free Willy since, I'm going to say, 1996. I, I, I'm going to quote his most famous line, and he said he gets this line from children will come up, because his line was, I hate that goddamn whale. He said children would, would come up to him all throughout the 90s and be like, <laughs> they'd recognize him, do you really hate Willie? <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's his most recognizable role. We've talked about all these cool genre flicks. He also, in this period, you know, he's made stuff like Killer Image and Neon City and, like I said, McBain, Passion for Murder, Night Trap, not the Sega game. And he's most Uh known for Free Goddamn Willie. I guess because it was so accessible for kids and everything, so you know a bunch of a bunch of children saw it, and it was uh, had the Michael Jackson soundtrack and all that. Shit. That's really all I remember. Like, like as I said, I don't even remember him being in the movie because it's not something I ever really. I, I saw no real point in ever watching Free Willy more than once. Like I think I maybe watched it with my mom or at like a friend's house or, or something. I just never ever had interest in it again because about a fucking whale. Well, I mean, Free Willy back in '93 was like one of the biggest movies of the year. I mean, they made. I mean, it was it was this unlikely. You know, nobody expected movie about the freaking whale to be as as big as it was. But uh, I mean, if uh, they they ended they made it they made a freaking trilogy out of it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know there were sequels. I had no yeah. clue there were any sequels. Yeah, th- th- there, there's at least two sequels. Yeah, there's at least two sequels. I'm like, but my whole thing is, how many times are they going to free this goddamn whale? You know, like, <laughs> should, shouldn't they just be able to do it once? You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. You know, it was a, it was a very big movie. It was uh, accessible to, uh, you know, ad- adults and kids. And you probably had a lot of kids that were, you know, seeing that. And that was kind of their introduction to him. So, uh, of course, they're going to uh, kind of recognize him from that. So it, it's kind of shocking because uh, I don't think when I think Free Willy, I don't think of the same caliber as uh, Total Recall as far as, uh, you know, how how huge it was. I mean, Free Willy was a really big movie back then. So, well, and then in this time, he was he was doing stuff like the Glass Shield, the police corruption movie, Fortunes of War, Forced to Kill. And then he made what a movie I had forgotten for years. He was the villain in the fourth Karate Kid movie, the non-Ralph Macchio one. Oh, I oh my God, he was. He was the sadistic. He was the sadistic military school instructor. I forgot he was the villain in that. That's the Jennifer Jennifer Garner one, right? Or who was in that one? Hillary, Hillary Swank. Swank. Hillary Swank. I always get those two confused for some reason. Um, but yeah, I, I remember him uh, being in that one, and uh, he he was uh, easily the only thing worth watching about that very very unnecessary sequel. The next Karate <laughs> Kid is is like. Is silly. There, there's something I like about it though. I'm not entirely sure what. Because, but I mean, it's it is. I agree though. It was absolutely not necessary. Like it, it could not exist, and it, it would impact nothing. You know, because it really, <laughs> it's just, it really didn't. I mean, we didn't need to see, you know, uh, Mr. Miyagi take Hillary Swank to like the the Shaolin Temple and and have the 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 Shaolin like monks have to come into the real world and learn how to dance. And like it was just it was it was corny and uh and it was just funny because it was so silly but then you had Michael Ironside playing uh the the colonel and he was like brutal and he so, was beating teenagers he, at his was, own school yeah he was beating teenagers and like and then and then the flip side of that like we have Hillary Swank catching a butterfly to give to like a Shaolin monk to prove that she understands like inner peace or something it was so like <laughs> it was it was such a lopsided movie but uh i what? i enjoy, i enjoy it uh but it's i recognize how like just unnecessary and and not good it is but uh yeah that's it's it is like too completely like you could edit uh, the Michael Ironside segments into like an R-rated film, and it, they would probably fit in well. I, I could see those segments being edited into the Lords of Discipline and not really, and actually matching up quite well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because he was—I mean, uh, he he was beating kids. 
Like, like, not e- like, like, really beating kids. Not just that PG-13, <laughs> like, you know, push them down, you know, uh, so, like, punching them in the face. Okay, this is one I'll admit I haven't seen. I never knew they made a sequel to Dolph Lundgren's Red Scorpion. He's the villain in Red Scorpion 2. I didn't know about is that. It, have either of you even, did no. you even know that there was a sequel to that? I had I, no I idea. Not. Is this pr- this Christ. is probably a in name only sequel? I could I probably could yeah. Well, and then he did a couple of Tales from the Crypt episodes. This is where I think Michael Ironside actually shines more that where he's not given enough credit when he's the straight role in a comedy. He was the quote oh. villain, you know, the straight hard assed colonel in Major Pain, the Damon Wayans movie. And I think actually when he's playing the straight man kind of rolling his eyes at the insanity going on around him, he's freaking perfect. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a damn near fucking impossible to watch movie, though. Holy Christ, is Damon Wayne's annoying in that one. Like, I would be Michael Ironside's character in that real situation, and I would be rolling my eyes at this hack job of an actor. I don't even think that was, that wasn't even in character. That was probably just Ironside going like, how the hell is this guy getting movies? It was, uh, that was just, I mean, it was, you know, when, when In Living Color was big and so they were giving everybody involved, uh, movies to see, uh, you know, who could be the next Jim Carrey. And, um, it just, uh, I, I really think they were banking on Damon Wayans being the, the, you know, the next big, uh, guy. And, uh, he just, I, I don't mind him. Like, I mean, he's good in some things, but, uh, I think in certain Last movies, Boy Scout, he's fantastic. Last Boy Scout, yeah. Last Boy Scout's great, and Homie the Clown is funny. I'll give him that. Exactly. Like, he's really good in, in that, and, uh, I, there's, I even think that, oh, what was the one? But, uh, come Bullet, on. Bulletproof? No. I think he was pretty no, good. No, 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 yeah, no. yeah, Bulletproof's good. No, Damon Wayne's best role, Beverly Hills Cop. You go ahead, take those bananas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You guys forgot he was in that, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's the gay guy that gives oh, us the... Right. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, I mean, but, but again, I mean, that was, you know, that was, uh, what, two, two men on film. You know, it was, he didn't really have a lot of, of variety in his characters. But, but yeah, I mean, his, uh, no, seriously, his best role was, uh, was Last Boy Scout. But that movie, that's another one that just does not get the love that it deserves. I mean, everybody is that's on the point. real, uh... To me, that's the real Die Hard 4, and it's the, the last one. That's it. You can you can honestly pretend that that is another Die Hard sequel. Very you really easily. could. Let's talk about yeah. Michael Ironside, though. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he just uh, he I I think he just was just disgusted and did and he was like, wait a minute, why why am I in this? <laughs> and, and then he got this is where where you see his range. Roy Scheider did not want to come back for a third season of Sequest DSV. That he was contractually obligated to do a couple episodes in season three. They brought in a new captain and they jumped it 30 years into the future. Michael Ironside was Captain Oliver Hudson, the new lead in Sequest. Mm. Sequest was still a pretty big show. Michael Ironside being a relatively underground player, that was kind of a big jump for him. And I thought he was great as Oliver Hudson, especially in the episodes with Roy Scheider. They played off each other really, really well. I loved Sequest's third season, and it still pisses me off that they canceled it after only 13 episodes because of the goddamn World Series. 
Did either of you watch the third season of Sequest? I watched some Sequest. Uh, I've seen a couple episodes of it, and yeah, I always assumed uh, Michael Ironside was the always the main character, probably because I might be too young to remember the the Roy Scheider stuff. Yeah, it was wasn't a bad show. Sequest, I think the first season was really weak, but then it it took off in the second season when they had. Uh, I will I, see. I'll disagree with you. The exact opposite. I thought first season was basically classic Star Trek underwater. Season two was fucking awful. That's the season where even Steven Spielberg quit the show over how terrible the scripts were. Uh, see, oh, I remember, now granted, I have not watched it. Uh, I saw the repeats on Sci-Fi Channel way back when, and I always, I don't know, I, I kind of, felt more uh like i enjoyed the second season more because they had the uh whatever they called the um the genetically modified people with like the camouflage skins daggets you know i liked i thought the daggets was cool you know it was a little less corn like they didn't use darwin just in the first like every uh, every single episode in the first season Except season two's episodes got more ridiculous they were going to alien planets and time traveling and it was like uh, oh my god shut up i have a soft spot for that i don't know i mean the first one it was like oh what are we gonna do oh we're all gonna die oh let's get darwin the goddamn dolphin to figure you really it out hate that dolphin don't you uh, well, i don't hate it but it was just it was such a crutch it was like every episode <laughs> it was like it was like fucking will wheaton in in, uh, Next Generation. Oh crap! We're, we're we're you know we're jammed into a corner. Oh, Will's gonna figure all this out. You know, it was the same. It was like that with the with the dolphin. It was uh, and I don't you know I I have no problem with the dolphin. I liked uh, the freaking dolphin and Johnny Mnemonic. You know, so it's not a a dolphin thing. It's just I think it was an overused plot device. They just whenever they were backed into a corner, they just had Darwin figure it out. <laughs> all right. Well. He was the main character in Sequest's third season. And like I said, that was canceled, not problems with the script, problems with the network. Hell, the last two episodes never even aired on network TV. They aired for the first time on the Sci-Fi Channel five years later. Michael Ironside kept working through all this. He, 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 he was making going to Kansas City, witness to yesterday, Ivory Tower, Johnny 2.0, and whatnot. And then he hit Starship Troopers in 1997. He's back with Paul Verhoeven. He's badass again. He's a drill instructor. He's got a cybernetic arm. And he is just as badass as you could. I can't see anyone else playing Rajik than Michael Ironside in Starship Troopers. When he showed up, like, I was loving Starship Troopers. And then he showed up, and I'm like, oh, my God, I love this even more. <laughs> and at first, he's just a school teacher. Yeah. And, or, and, and a badass school teacher all, of, all at once. Uh, he's immediately introduced as a badass already. He's a school teacher that's missing an arm, so you already know that he's a, he's a badass there. And he really does. He elevates a movie that's already so elevated as an awesome film. Fucking awesome when he works with Paul Verhoeven. Like, Total Recall and Starship Troopers are two of my favorite movies ever and it might be because of michael ironside's utter badassery especially as uh as mr radcheck um which is just such such a great badass awesome you know like army commander badass teacher character and he really as i said elevates a movie that's already so so awesome like starship troopers still would have been great without him but he makes it all that more cool and, and recognizable and, and memorable because he, he always puts that stamp on, on pretty much every movie he's in. 
Well, and then, like I said, he, he would keep working, and he would start moving into voice acting at this point, something he had not really done before, where he voiced the 80s Batman in a New Adventures of Batman episode. Then he would move on to, I guess, sticking with DC, I guess for Warner Brothers, he would be Darkseid in the Superman cartoon from 1997, and then he was Tyler in Heavy Metal 2000 in the year 2000. In, in Heavy Metal 2000, don't you think he's kind of just playing an animated version of his Highlander 2 character? Oh, yeah. He, he was absolutely... He even had the same inflections. I, I mean, hell, he even did the... <laughs> the same hair, too. Like, it's it's pretty much just animated General Katana. He, he still did, like, you know, the Canadian series Cold Squad. He did an episode of... He was in the Omega Code movie, reuniting him with Sequest alum Michael York, who was the villain in his season of Sequest. He was still doing some movies, but he was really known for all of the voice work he did from about 97 to 2000. Well, he's another guy who just... I mean, on top of having, like, an incredible screen presence, he's got an incredible voice. Like, mm-hmm. he, he just... He has that, like, oomph behind it... Where where uh, a lot of uh, voice actors don't. He's somebody who there's a reason why he's got a crap ton of uh, you know voice acting you know under his belt as well as just regular uh, actings because you, you hear that voice and you're like oh crap you know? <laughs> like, like it just it has like uh, a, a power behind it you know as somebody who works in the medium of my voice. Like, God, I would probably be ten times bigger uh, if I had his voice. (laughs) (laughs) That that beautiful baritone he has. Oh, it's just lovely. It It just melts. He's just so good. Michael Ironside did Batman when he did the Dark Knight Returns Batman. He was the perfect grizzled Batman to me. So when Peter Weller did the voice for the Dark Knight Returns animated movie, and I got nothing against Peter Weller, and I thought Peter Weller did a fine job, he just couldn't measure up to Ironside for me. To me, they I, maybe it was availability, money, I don't know. Michael Ironside should have been Dark Knight Returns Batman. Yeah, I mean, you never know. It could have been, uh, you know, contractual stuff. He uh, he might have already had other things lined up and just couldn't do it. And they, you know how movies are. You know, you've got a time frame, and if if this person can't do it, a lot of times you don't have the luxury of waiting until they can. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough, uh, especially like like when you've got. Uh, and I, such an iconic voice, like with, uh, with Mark Hamill, you know, stopping to do the Joker, like whoever comes in next, uh, is just going to be completely judged against him. And it's, I mean, it's not that it's unfair, but I mean, it is, you know, it, you're always going to be judged against somebody who does an incredible job of a voice. And then you, you have to come in and be like, all right, uh, I'm going to try to do this. And hopefully people like it. So well, it's it, it's sort of it's sort of the same thing with video games. He's he's voiced Sam Fisher in what seven different Splinter, Splinter Cell games, and then now they they replaced him like two or three years ago with a new guy. The new guy's not bad, but he's not Sam Fisher to me. To me, Michael Ironside is Sam fucking Fisher. Well, the thing with that too is I vaguely remember like. That wasn't a contractual thing. That wasn't that he was too busy. Like, he was fine doing it, but apparently, like, somebody wanted him out. Like, it was a... Yeah, it, it, it was a decision from corporate. Yeah. That they wanted to go in a, in a less... Not their word, but like a less edgy... They wanted to lighten the tone of the series a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, do you guys not understand why these have been selling all these years? Yeah, and the later ones, while, you know, not bad games, uh, they were not as well received. And uh, that's why, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think they, they ended up like rebooting them like a couple of times since then because they haven't really been able to hit the stride that the original series had. And then Michael Ironside would, you know, be continuing to do small movies and whatnot. I don't know if this was a money thing, but he would he would pick up a couple of TV series that I just do not like. Like, uh, he became a regular on Walker, Texas Ranger. I really don't like that show. And then he was a regular on ER. I was always a Chicago Hope man. Sorry. I never really watched ER and uh, I think I maybe saw like half of one episode. And no, nothing against the show. It's just I really don't watch that much TV to begin with. So so I didn't really catch either of those. And ER, I just I don't give a shit about another hospital TV show. Except for, unless it's so sane elsewhere. Michael Ironside would continue working. He would be in a couple of different Outer Limits episodes for, for Showtime. Cecil, you probably remember how he was in that six children or that what was it the seventh children of the corn movie and you didn't even notice it was him yeah yeah i think <laughs> because i remember you being kind of shocked when i told you that was ironside as the as the devil priest and you were like really i i had no idea i think he probably was like he had it contractually in his thing look um i don't want to really be in this could you make me not <laughs> like okay we'll get you know we'll we'll do our best to kind of cover it up and and then he would he would continue doing all of this work and he'd do stuff on lots of genre shows you know he'd be on Andromeda Young Blades and he he was in, he was supposed to be because this was a pilot originally that Vampire Wars Battle for the Galaxy Battle for the Universe AKA Bloodsuckers Vampires in Outer Space he was supposed to be the villain in that but it never got picked up he was on Desperate Housewives Stargate he would come back as Dark Side on the Justice League show. He'd be oh, on yeah. Criminal Minds. He's, oh, he was, he's uh, one of the he was perfect. He was perfect for Darkseid. I would love it if uh, if he ends up being like maybe a CG'd character, kind of like Thanos in the uh, in the Avengers movie. If they make like a sort of CG Darkseid, that would be so fucking cool if they brought him back to the voice. Well, and then like I said, he was doing a lot of TV, and one of these stuck out to me was when he showed up on Burn Notice in 2010. Okay, because I remember reading about it. Michael Ironside's going to be on Burn Notice. Amazing. He's in literally the first two minutes, and he's immediately killed by a drone strike. Oh. And I was like, no goddamn way did you hire Michael Ironside to kill him two minutes in, and he doesn't even get a guest star credit. Did he there least, had uh... to have been cut scenes. There, there had to have been a cut subplot there. Did he at least lose an arm? Yeah. And I'll get to that, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. See, about Michael Ironside, one of the really cool things is, without meaning to, okay, it's kind of like how Michael Bean, he gets bit in the hand in Terminator, and Aliens, and Hill Street Blues, and The Abyss, and Adventure Inc., and in Clockstoppers, where it's like, <laughs> okay, getting bit in his, in the hand is sort of an unofficial Michael Bean thing. Michael <laughs> Ironside has an unofficial losing a body part thing. Arms, specifically, okay. or arms. It, it, I, I'm going to go through the list here. In 1982's Visiting Hours, he doesn't lose it, but he gets his he gets his left arm severely messed up. Then Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, 1983, he's missing both his arms and his legs. <laughs> then in Total Recall, he has both his arms cut off. Then in Highlander 2, not only getting his head cut off, but he gets his hand cut off in the shield. 
Then in Starship Troopers, he's already missing his arm, and then he gets both his legs bit off by a bug. In The Machinist in 2004, he's missing his left arm. In the 2005 movie Guy X, he's missing his left arm and his left leg. In the Masters of Horror episode, The V Word, he gets his head cut off. And in Lake Placid, he gets both of his arms bit off. And then, of course, his legs, and he gets killed. Michael Ironside has a weird thing about losing limbs. Yeah, that's something I noticed from a very early age watching his movies, and it was uh, it was Total Recall and Highlander 2 that made me notice it. It's like, this guy seems to lose a hand or an arm a lot, and then it, it kept it kept happening. Like, I, I saw The uh, Machinist when it first came out, and I was very keen to see it because I love uh, Christian Bale as an actor, and I noticed that um, Ironside was in it as, like, a badass metal worker. He gets his f***ing arm caught in a bandsaw and gets it brutally ripped off, and I'm like, I'm thinking back to, like, watching him as a kid, and then I started thinking about all the other movies where he gets, like, arm either mangled or is already missing them, like in Starship Troopers, in uh, his role as Overdog and stuff. And I'm wondering, like, why? Why is this a thing? And I looked it up, but when he was, um, before he was an actor, he was actually a successful arm wrestler at one point in his youth. And I wonder if maybe the losing an arm thing might be kind of an inside joke to that. Like maybe the, the people hiring him on know about his uh, past with arm wrestling and they're like, wouldn't it be ironic if you lost an arm? Like it's kind of a, an ironic thing. He's a guy who, uh, at one point used the strength of his arms to win like championships and then he's, uh, getting his arms cut off. In, uh, in movies now, which is, uh, I've, I've always found that really, um, even before I knew about the arm wrestling thing, I would always, uh, wonder if there was anything to that, like if it's like an inside joke. It's kind of like in, in a Michael Bean movie, you wonder when he's gonna get his hand bit, or if, like yeah. in a Lucio Fulci movie, you wonder when somebody's getting something in the eye. Yeah, you wonder when somebody's eye is just gonna get completely destroyed. You, you wonder watching Michael Ironside and anything he's in, okay, uh, let's time it. When is he gonna lose the arm? And then you, you're kinda, I'm kinda disappointed when he doesn't. Because it's like, oh, well, this movie didn't live up to be exactly what it could have been. Which, uh, no, not really. But still, it's it's funny. It makes you think about it because it's happened so often, and it's become sort it of like a, a like a meme. at this point. It can't be. Yeah, of course not. Like everybody knows Total Recall for the see you at the party, Richter, when he rips his arms <laughs> off. Like everybody knows that. Like that's I think. That's the most well-known thing about Total Recall is Michael Ironside getting his arms ripped off and then Arnold saying that line. Like, it's it's not only something that happens so often to Ironside, it's like one of his most iconic scenes, I think, in his entire movie repertoire is getting his arms torn off by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why does this man have such a problem keeping his limbs on him? <laughs> He's got a very peculiar fetish. Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> he, he gets, well, gets the... off on the idea of... uh becoming crippled and limbless. I don't know. One of the things people might have noticed about Michael Ironside of late, if you noticed like when he showed up on Justified or some of the newer movies he's done, he's put on a lot of weight. A lot of people might not realize why. He just got done beating thyroid cancer. He'd already had his prostate removed when he had prostate cancer years earlier. Now he had thyroid cancer. He's a double cancer survivor. You'll, you'll notice when he was in Turbo Kid. That's not Richter-looking. That yeah, that, that was not Richter-looking Michael Ironside. He was battling he's thyroid never, cancer. 
he's never been like razor thin or anything. Like I think he's always had a, a little bit of little bit of weight to him. Sort of more stocky, I would say, never fat. But yeah, he looks really much like a. He's almost turning into like a. It's it's, it's a joke I made with my buddy a couple years ago. Where nowadays it's hard to tell John Saxon apart from Michael Ironside. They're kind of turning into one another. They sort of look the same. It's it's strange. Either Michael Ironside is turning into him, or John Saxon is turning into Michael Ironside. I just think it's awesome that he beat cancer twice and never let he never really let it stop him acting. Yeah. Although ha- having both of his knees blown out and replaced with titanium, he said unfortunately stopped him from being a roofer because that's still his number <laughs> one concern, which to me is weird. To me, Michael Ironside is one of those stalwart actors, even if the movie's bad. He's been in a lot of bad movies. He's never given a bad performance. And there mm-hmm. are certain actors like Lance Henriksen, John Saxon, Sid Haig, Michael Ironside, who are like that. They're in a lot of crap. Yeah. But but the movies aren't crap because of them. They're crap in spite of them. Michael Ironside didn't have cancer. Cancer had Michael Ironside. <laughs> and lost. <laughs> And lost. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the guy. Uh, I they, like you said, you know, he'll he'll be in some bad movies, but he'll always elevate them. Like, uh, there's never been a time where I'm like, ah, oh, the Michael Ironside. Like, you know, I'm not gonna watch this piece of like. There, I'll pretty much like look, and I'm like, ah, oh, this movie look. Oh, Michael Ironside's in it. Oh, I'm gonna watch this now. You know, and uh, <laughs> he, I actually did that pretty recently with a new movie called Synchronicity, one of the smartest time travel movies ever. I was just looking at it on the shelf at Family Video with my girlfriend, and I'm like. Eh, it looks all right. I see Michael Ironside on the back cover. I'm like, we're getting it. And then the movie was just fantastic. He's only in about 15 minutes, and he's kind of the villain. Kind of not really. If you see the movie, it kind of makes sense. But the movie, I I loved it so much, I bought the DVD. And I only rented it because Michael Ironside was in the movie. Yeah. He's, he's great. I, uh, I, I've always liked the guy and I've never been disappointed by him. And he's, he's somebody who keep, like, keeps to himself, acts, is is not a you know like the the a lot of the new wave of celebrities which is to get out there and and just be loud mouths about whatever he's just like you know he he just always seems like somebody who i guess you could say kind of like the blue collar actor yeah you know, he he's Absolutely. like the everyman who is just like very you know you you can relate to him you feel like you know you could really sit down and have a beer with him and just talk about it, just about anything with him he just seems like somebody yeah. who would just be like you you like, want to sit down and listen to all right I don't even care what we talk about just tell me a story you know and it, <laughs> and it would be completely the greatest thing you've ever heard <laughs> also the also the fact that he in his real life is very deep quiet and introspective he said he values reading and one of the things he does up in canada is sponsors reading programs for kids oh that's awesome that's awesome not really what you think of from the badasses he plays in movies do you that totally makes sense i i always did assume that he was sort of a more of an introspective uh stay in not really be a loud mouth you know and i could see him doing stuff to to help out kids and you know valuing reading and stuff like that he seems like a very very true grit uh, kind of guy and you know a lot of people say if they if they could have anyone narrate their life it would be morgan freeman or patrick stewart or whatever the f- that if anybody is going to narrate my life i would want it to be michael ironside and if i could have any voice in the world instead of my own it would be michael ironsides because the guy's just got an epic voice he's an epic actor uh every film he's in might not be the best but he always gives uh an awesome performance every every time uh he delivers a solid one i i recently just watched uh visiting hours for 
for the first time. Because I've always he's badass in that, isn't he? He is. He's. I've I've always heard of this is a mo- the movie where he plays this like weird uh, woman hating serial killer, and um, unfortunately it was kind of boring. But every scene he's in is great. But everything else in the movie is kind of unfortunately dull. But it just proves that even if the movie's kind of shit, every scene that you see Michael Ironside in is gonna be awesome. And I think that's that's all that really needs to be said about the man. Is he no matter what it is that he's in. He elevates it. And see, I'm just going to add, okay, if I couldn't get Michael Ironside to narrate my life, Reb Brown. <laughs> oh, God. Josh is about to host another radio drone. Shit! <laughs> <laughs> I, would, so, I would go with uh, Michael Ironside or Keith David. Mm, yes. Oh, Keith David's another underrated. Oh, that's another retro we should do is a Keith David retro. I, 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 except, except the way your luck goes, Cecil, you'd get David Keith. I'd get David Keith. Yes. <laughs> I said, no, I don't want David Keith to narrate my voice or narrate my life. Uh, all right. On, on that <laughs> note, where can we find Cecil? Uh, you can find me at escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflix.com, uh, and goodbadflix on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Where can we find Peter? You can find me obsessing over Michael Ironside over on uh, Twitter at Cinematica, over on Facebook, The Cinemasticist, YouTube, The Cinemasticist, 1201beyond.com, and thegrindhousechannel.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I can also be found on forcesofgeek.com, grindhousechannel.com, as I said, my own website, 1201beyond.com. I can be found being snarky on Twitter and Facebook. My love for Michael Ironside will not die. I've been trying to snag an interview with this guy for years, and I can't get past his gatekeepers. So if anybody (laughs) has access to Michael Ironside, pass our information along. We would love to interview the man. Or just send him a copy of this show and see how much of the history we got wrong and how he can use his voice to kill us. His mind, not even his voice, just his mind, make our heads blow up.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.